Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerottis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Coming up at the Starlight in Waterloo, Ontario, Emmanuel Jahl and Tanika Charles appear together on December 4th, and Tokyo Police Club Said the Whale and the Pack AD perform on December 9th and 10th. Unfortunately, the December 5th show featuring Jizza of Wu-Tang Clan has been cancelled, and refunds are available at point of purchase. The Starlight is located at 47 King Street in Waterloo. For complete listings and information, visit starlightsocialclub.ca. Creative Control with Vish Khan. Well, it happened. My daughter. I have a daughter. She was born on December 2nd at 4.09 a.m. 4.09. Around 3.15 a.m. I'm awoken by my wife. And she says, I I think something's happening. And less than an hour later, Ramona. We have a daughter named Ramona. And she's wonderful. And... It was very dramatic and rapid. Very That's a short amount of time. That's a short labor, if you don't know. And it was a little stressful, I will say. The, the midwives did not arrive at our home until 4.08 a.m. And Ramona was born at 4.09. So it was a lot of us doing a lot of everything and not really sure if we were doing it right. But apparently we're fine. Ramona's great. Sleeping a lot. Eating a lot. Uh, my wife is not sleeping so much. I am not sleeping so much, but more a bit more than her. Uh, she's doing a lot of feeding and, and whatnot, but things are good. Things are well. It's busy around here. My wife's uh, parents are around, uh, and it's it's been busy, but good. So I just want to tell you that. I'm very happy. Things are good. And before 
I went and picked up Michelle's parents at the airport. I went to Toronto to talk to Kevin Howes and Duke Redbird about this new beautiful compilation, Native North America Volume 1. I'm just going to get the, the thing so I get the second part of this title right. Aboriginal Folk, Rock, and Country, 1966 to 1985. I'm holding it in my hands, the double CD. I think the vinyl is en route to me, and I am so excited about this thing. It sounds great. It is a collection of rare, scarcely heard music made uh, by Indigenous people in this country of Canada. And Volume 2, uh, as I understand it, promises to feature uh, people from America, the United States of America. And you'll learn about that and more on a very revealing and interesting chat with both Kevin and Duke Redbird. Kevin is the compiler, the curator of this thing. He lives in Vancouver. He's worked with this record label, Light in the Attic Records, before, uh, compiling things for them, finding things. He's just an avid, super wise record collector, and all, most of this material is from his collection, and it's been transferred into this compilation. Duke Redbird is a very noted poet, bit of a renaissance man. He does all sorts of things. He's a motivational speaker. He's a poet. Uh, he, he's, you know, he's an, he contributed a poem to uh, and produced a track. Uh, called uh, Silver River, which you're going to hear uh, from this compilation. Anyway, I am just making stuff up here as I go along. I don't want to get anything wrong. I think you should hear from these two gentlemen and go to lightintheattic.net uh, for more information about how to order this thing because I think you'll want to. It's beautiful. Here it is, Kevin and Duke Redbird. I might take a nap. That's what we do now. When you have two kids, you feel like taking naps. Kazoo and Keep Your Eyes Open are pleased to present Stay Out of the Mall 13, a festive music festival that benefits the Canadian Cancer Society towards leukemia research. Night one takes place Thursday, December 11th at Silence and features performances by Jennifer Castle, John Southworth, and Shopkeeper. Night two takes place Friday, December 12th at the E-Bar with Mets, Weaves, and Badminton Racket. Silence is an accessible venue at 46 Essex Street. The E-Bar is located at 41 Quebec Street, but has stairs and is regrettably not a physically accessible space. Tickets to both all-ages licensed shows are available at ticketbreak.com or bring a non-perishable food item to the bookshelf at 41 Quebec Street or to the door and save $2 off admission. Learn more about Stay Out of the Mall 13 at their Facebook event page. See you all there.
you think Duke is going to join us soon? He wants to win this pool game badly, but he's supposed to to join us. Okay, he's really—is he a big? Do, a you, do you know him well? Exciting place, yeah. I do, I'm starting to, and uh, he's a lovely man. And he, but he he design, he painted that pool table. Really? Yeah, it's something to take a closer look at afterwards. I didn't know that he. Uh, oh yeah, a, look at that. That's lovely, actually. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, a lot of uh, characters and faces and color. He just did an animated swoop of his cue there. I think I think he's on a he's gonna win. I have a feeling he's gonna win. He's close to the end of there. The first time I met Duke, uh, we, we came here and uh, I actually beat him in pool. But oh, and I, I was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> feel like you may have been a bad guest. Well, you gotta go for it, you know. Yeah. We'll ask Duke more about the space uh, when he comes uh, by. Most definitely. No, he's yeah. a fantastic. Well, he's a, he's a multidisciplinary artist. He's a bit he's of a, a renaissance man, isn't he? Very much. If they Incredibly. If, yeah. They do still exist, and he is living proof. Now, I, uh, you and I don't know each other super well. You're, no. You're living, you're living in Vancouver. Not yet. I live in, in Vancouver, yes, uh, in British Columbia. And, and what's your background exactly? You've produced, essentially, this compilation that we're here to talk about, Native North America, Volume 1. Yes. What is your musical background? Well, I was raised in a music-loving family. Uh, I was born in 1974 in Richmond Hill, Ontario. My parents had a record collection. Um, my dad played in high school dance bands in Montreal in the 60s. So I was surrounded with music. My dad, dad and mom had a record collection filled with some great music. Beatles, Rolling Stones, Muddy Waters, Otis Redding, mm-hmm. Jimi Hendrix. So these things turned me on. It got me excited about music at a young age. And um, in the 1990s, I started DJing. A sort of an outgrowth of my love of hip-hop and rap music. Yeah, loving rap music. So uh, not just like DJing a party, you were actually getting into the art of turntablism? Like were you DJing? Well, like, yeah, this is sort of in the mid-1990s, so basically in the late 80s I, is the era that I really started like getting into music on a deeper level. Started out with radio and then like going to record stores and buying tapes and, and eventually vinyl records. You know, initially, like, you know, I'd buy stuff like The Clash or Bob Marley or The Sex Pistols, The Specials, English Beat, like a wide range of stuff. Mm-hmm. Things I was excited about, getting into, like, Public Enemy, Maestro Fresh West, Main Source, Big Daddy Kane, you know, the rap music of the late 80s, early 90s. What was it? You mentioned a bunch of sort of punk bands, new wave bands. Yeah, what? all the music that I was, like... Uh, coming across in, in, during that era, you know? What was it about hip-hop and rap music? Because you, the, some of the people you mentioned there are mm-hmm. kind of emerging uh, hip-hop and, and sure. rap artists. What was it about hip-hop that uh, that caught your caught your ear? I just liked the music. I liked what the rappers were saying, and I loved the beats. And so, you know, falling in love with rap music, I learned about sampling and sample-based culture. And that was really exciting, learning that um, that these records that I loved were, were made by taking little pieces from these old soul, jazz, rock records and making something new out of them and then adding vocals on top. So through that process of learning about, you know, the sample world, sample-based culture, um, I started digging into the roots of music and learning where where these producers were finding their tracks from and then like a group like The Specials or English Beat, they were drawing on the music of 60s Jamaica. And I found out like an artist like Bob Marley um, he just didn't have, um, he wasn't fully formed as an artist with, uh, you know, 
chest length dreadlocks that in the early 60s he was making ska music and he had short hair and he wore like dapper suits amazing ska music by the way yeah everyone loves this the or everyone i think most people i shouldn't say everyone because it's not everyone but a lot of people know bob marley for the sort of the the way you describe him oh, just the now. legend era you know the the greatest yeah. hits you know but i love more than anything i actually love those ska records he made yeah i i, I love them too and and i love uh I love the early reggae stuff that he did with Lee, that with the Whalers did with Lee Perry, yeah. uh, and I love his, you know, Island Records era stuff as well. So you're just learning about the roots of music and how it's evolved, you know, since the sort of the '50s or what have you. Um, so there, that was going on, and I started DJing. So I'd go out in my quest to find records that I could DJ, and um, I'd uncover all sorts of stuff. And I had a girlfriend at the time whose father was Jamaican. It had a record store in Scarborough, Ontario in the 70s. Had a record label as well. Um, what were they called? Uh, it was called Ron Lou Records. And um, he wasn't present in the family, but had left his records behind. And that to me was like a huge musical education. And uh, Tannis was open and sharing the records with me. And these are the types of records I'm playing in the clubs of Vancouver in the mid-1990s, like really obscure black music, soul, funk, and reggae. And really got me, it was like a huge learning curve. Like, I wasn't just listening to James Brown, I was listening to some pretty obscure regional acts from the States and, and some hardcore, like, white-label Jamaican blanks, things that, like, you would not have access to at a huh. local record store. Um, so that was fantastic, and it really sort of like up my musical ante. I was working at HMV Music in the mid-1990s as well. When it was a little bit less corporate, we were able to bring in all this incredible music, import CDs from Japan and Germany. So I was just immersing myself in music and getting into vinyl culture and going out to f um, flea markets and thrift stores and record stores, any place that had vinyl. And I, I was luck. I was feel really blessed to be mentored by a fellow named Ty Scammell. And he was an old Vancouver hippie from the 1960s. In the 60s in Vancouver, there was a big uh, hippie scene. Mm. It was a great psychedelic rock bands and and artists, and you know it was a really happening scene. This fellow Ty, in the 1990s, he was selling vinyl records out of the Red Barn Flea Market. Listeners out there might know who have been to Vancouver. The Red Barn Flea Market still there on Main and Terminal. And Ty's stall like was stocked with music of all different styles. He was very, very knowledgeable and turned on a lot of musicians and DJs and just music lovers to all sorts of great music. He, he focused on psychedelic music from around the world, music, psychedelic music from Brazil, psychedelic music from Canada. But he really helped shape my aesthetic into looking for Canadian music. And we're not talking about Gordon Lightfoot and the Guess Who and Leonard Cohen, Neil Young, artists who we all celebrated and, and love and have the records, but he got into the, this idea of looking for sort of uncharted Canadian music, things that hadn't really had the right opportunity back in the 60s or 70s to reach their rightful audience or were more regional. Um, so I'd start buying these types of records from him and just really became interested in this uh, notion of you know underground Canadian music. And as this is all evolving, you know, I started doing music journalism as well, working for the Georgia Strait newspaper in Vancouver, the Alternative Weekly and started hitting the road, actually getting in the car, often with a good friend of mine, Dane Goulet, also known as Bird of Prey. He's a rapper by the name of Bird of Prey. He's a good rapper. I like Bird of Prey. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, still, he's still rapping. He's still doing his thing. He's based out of Winnipeg now, but originally an East Vancouver kid from the commercial drive area. Mm -hmm. um, we became good friends sort of in the, you know. He had some 
he was affiliated with like the peanuts and corn people yeah he was yeah, yeah i think that was sort of maybe prompted the move to, to winnipeg where i think peanuts and corn were based out of uh, yeah. winnipeg uh, McEnroe and um pipskid and all sorts of you know different artists on, on that scene yeah yeah it was really thriving and underground rap um but we'll me and bird would like hit the road and like just start digging and we'd go into the prairies and you'd hit the road just to look for yeah, records just to look for records um it's hard to find records sometime in a big city. There's lots of competition. It's pretty picked over, but we'd find by like traveling, um, we'd be able to find things. Uh, I don't know. Incredible uh, things. And also regional music, like Vish thinking like about the music of the 60s and 70s, a lot of it. And the stuff I was really looking for, I uh, discovered that it was regional records that didn't make it out of a little town, yeah. you know, in Saskatchewan. And uh, these are the types of records you know, I still look for, and, and I still like. I do a lot of traveling across the country looking for records. Have you heard of Discogs.com? I have heard of Discogs.com. <laughs> I've also heard of Gem.com, right. uh, and I've heard of eBay.com. So does does that stuff not help you? Like they've well, that, got a lot of stuff. Yeah, they have a lot of stuff, but even this thing called the internet, I have found that there's a lot of stuff that's not even on the internet. No, come on, everything's on the internet. Well, the music I'm looking for is not just rare, but I'm looking for still relevant sounds that are off the grid. Um, not everything is documented online. Right. And it's also a motivator for my work. And something in, in terms of uh, taking it right into the Native North America, Volume 1, I found you know, finding some of these records in my travels and just being blown away by them. The quality of the music, the feeling, the sentiments that were being shared, the culture, the spirituality... I'd be blown away by a record and look online for, let's say, Alexis Utatnak, um, who lives in Baker Lake. And I couldn't find out anything about Alexis. Now, wait, just one step back here. You mentioned a name there, and there's a, a bunch of names here that I didn't know. I was, I'm listening to this thing, and I'm just blown away by every song. I'm just like, what the? And a lot of it has sort of, I don't know, you can hear its impact. And, and I'm sure that the people making this kind of music don't even know, because I doubt they've heard this, but you can... It's amazing how timeless some of this is. It's amazing how it crosses realms of what we would call indie rock or independent music and 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 mainstream folk music or whatever rock music. Like th this is across. Th this is such an eclectic collection of people making really inventive music. You mentioned a name there that I'm not I'm not that familiar with. How did you first become familiar with that name to look it up? Well, in my travels looking for these records, and I've been doing this for 20 years now, and I, and I, I think I initially started buying um, records made by our indigenous peoples maybe like 15 years ago. Willie Dunn was a big catalyst. He, was, he is probably one of the most well-known names on the compilation in indigenous music circles. He is regarded as, I've heard many First Nations people say he was our Leonard Cohen. He made films for the National Film Board out of the Challenge for Change pro mm -hmm. program in the, in the late 1960s, something that Duke Redbird was also involved with, and Alani Sobomsuin. Um, but, you know, an artist like Alexis Yutetnak, I just found his record in my travels. He, he recorded, or was recorded by the CBC in the 1970s uh, for broadcast play, for regional broadcast play. Was this for our home and native, or our native land? or? Um, I think, no, in, in the 70s. It may may have been utilized on that program, but to my knowledge, it was the CBC uh, had a mandate for recording Canadian talent. They they had a series of um, they had a series called LM 
light music, right. which was pop rock stuff. They had SM, which was serious music, which was classical music, getting into like your Glenn Goulds and different Canadian composers. And they also had NS. These are the prefixes that you'd see on a record label that had a CBC logo on it. Um, NS is Northern Service. Mm. And it was recording a lot of indigenous talent, people like Alexis. Um, and these records were exclusively made for broadcast play. They were not sold in retail stores. Um, occasionally, at some point, I think they may have been sold in CBC gift shops. But they were for broadcast play. They'd be sent around to all the CBC affiliate stations across the country and around the world. But even with, with that distribution, I think they were only really played regionally. Like Alexis's music would be played in the northern regions of Canada. I don't think it was played in Toronto. These were pressed on vinyl? These were pressed on, these are vinyl recordings. Yeah, pressed on vinyl. It, it just uh, goes to show you the funding that was available for independent artists in those days, you know, as promoted by the CBC. So they would press, uh, I don't know, what, five, six hundred of these, maybe a yeah, thousand I th copies? I think maybe a hundred to five hundred. Okay, and they just distributed them. They were only available to the people yeah, at the station. the people involved with the CBC huh. and, and the radio stations. Um, these are the things that you, you would see if you were at the CBC Music Library. In the last couple of years, they have been decommissioned, so the CBC don't really have a lot of these records. But over the years, they've trickled out. Where, you'd, where find them you? at, you'd find them in thrift stores, you'd find them at record dealers' homes, you'd you know, find them at producers or, through producers or musicians. I guess they would also give copies to the artist. Do you remember where you first found, like where it was that you first found one of these records? Oh, this is going back to, oh man, like in the 1990s. And like, I was raised in Canada and grew up with the CBC. So uh, when I was out looking for records and I'd see a CBC logo on a record, it piqued my interest. And then in actually listening to the music and finding there were some very interesting titles recorded by the CBC in those days, mm. I'd, I'd want to know more about the artists like, let's say, Alexis Utetnak, or even like other artists like Beverly Copeland or Perth County Conspiracy, um, folk, pop, rops, pop, pop rock, psychedelic jazz artists. A lot of jazz music was recorded by the CBC and Radio Canada International in those days. And I just started grooving on these records. But... When I fall in love with a record, I want to know more about it. Who, who, is, this, who is this artist? Where do they come from? Uh, you know, how did they make this record? Yeah. Um, but I found in a lot of cases, especially with the indigenous artists, there was no information. Google Alexis Utetnak, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and you wouldn't find a thing. Right. So through my work as a music journalist, and then I've worked with Light in the Attic Records for 11 years or so producing reissues, I realized early on that, uh, and uh, maybe obviously, if you want to know about these artists and these songs, you have to go directly to the artists themselves. So I'd put on my Sherlock Holmes hat, and let's say, and <laughs> I'd try to find these artists, some of which, some are, were more difficult to find than others, some are just a matter of looking up in the phone book and, and calling them, and when I'd, t I'd reach out to the artist, First and foremost, I'd thank them for their music that had affected me in a positive way and inspired me and to want to learn more and, yeah, to thank the artists. And I mean, you mentioned... And to ask for much-needed context. Right. And in a lot of cases, you know, I think people would be scratching their heads. They're like, who's this kid and why does he want to know about this record I made 30 years ago? Well, you found someone in the liner notes. You talk about this. Most of the people that you spoke to for context in, in this collection... Uh, it was mostly over the phone, right? Well, in a lot of cases, but I was able to connect face-to-face um, -face with uh, a, quite a few of the artists. But unfortunately, because of uh, the vast uh, geography of Canada and, and travel costs, like 
going to, from Montreal to Salawit in Nunavik in northern Quebec, the round trip flight is $3,000. Yeah. Far, uh, I live very humbly, so it's uh, outside of my means. Um, so the phone was, yeah, the phone and computer was a great uh, connector, even even Facebook. A lot of people uh, in the northern regions are active on Facebook. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good connector for those isolated ge- geographically. And uh, some of the artists from the Inuit artists, they had told me that the word, the names they had for um, uh, Facebook and the internet was the great radio. <laughs> I thought that that's, was re- that was really cool, that's interesting, heartening, actually, and to show the, the you know the power the power of radio in those days as a connector and a way to pass out along information and music. A lot of these artists were listening to to radio in the 1960s, and that's how they first fell in love with music and wanted to make music on their own. You actually found someone via a local radio station. I did, and that was in Baker Lake, um, and looking for an artist, the one of the vocalists and guitarists for a group called Sugluck from Salouet, Quebec, um, a town that used to be known as Sugluck. Uh, so they were, had some hometown pride in their name, yeah. calling themselves Sugluck, but Tayara Papigatuk, he had relocated to Baker Lake, and I couldn't find him. He didn't have a phone number. I tried calling relatives, connecting with people on Facebook. I'd send out messages asking his bandmates. Nobody knew how to get a hold of him. So... Uh, in my process of, you know, you know, with with the, <laughs> with my Sherlock Holmes hat firmly in on the top of my head, I I, th- I thought it was like a sort of like a a long shot chance. I'd start calling municipal offices, and maybe they had records of the people, you know, in, this, in the smaller communities. I called the Baker Lake community office, the town town office, and uh, a very helpful lady there recommended that I call the radio station, the local radio station. I called the local radio station and said I was looking for Tayara. And she said, okay, um, let me take your name and number. And she put out a message over the airwaves in Inuktitut. Just make an, made an announcement. An basically. announcement yeah. in, in um, their native language, which I do, I do not speak. And um, said that Kevin House is looking for Tayara. Please give him a call. I, I hung up the phone. Did her they announce your number on the phone on the well, radio? Well, I, I hung. I wasn't listening. I, I hung <laughs> up the phone, and I thought that was it. I went to I went to work and worked on something else, or uh, even just to s- slip my mind. But a couple hours later, I'm sitting at my desk, and the phone rings. I pick it up, thinking it's a friend or family member, and it was Tayara from the Sugluck band whose music I, I'm a huge, huge fan of. It's one of the first garage rock, heavy garage rock, hard rock bands from from the northern, northern regions of Canada, and it was Tyara. I couldn't believe it. Like, I was, uh, I was flabbergasted. The I, great radio. It was, I mean, the original great radio. A great connector, yeah. yeah. It, it was incredible, and shows the power of music as well. It, it was incredible to speak with Tyara. I thanked him for his music and told him that I work for Light in the Attic Records, and I'm producing a compilation of indigenous folk and rock music and please tell me about your band you know and we spoke for a while he told me you know all sorts of stories for a half an hour about the band an hour we were on the phone and uh wow and i thanked him and um and that was incredible so this is one story on how i would connect with some of these musicians it was really cool like for me i'm a non-aboriginal person myself and um this project has been a great learning experience i'd never had the opportunity to speak to uh an inuit before and through this project 
it's it's been a great uh, connector you know it's a uh, it's bridging cultures generations and, and eras of technology from the analog age to the digital world that we live in today and uh, it's you know it's a great I've, it's a great honor for me to be involved in this and to help share these recordings that I, I feel are very timely very important and uh, and should be heard in speaking with uh, the artists that are, are have now been you know their work has now been compiled uh, here did you get a general theme emerging in the conversations about how well represented they felt their music was before this uh, or you know what their sort of artistic lives were like oh most definitely it's been very edifying and I've tried to translate uh, transfer as much of that information in all the interviews I conducted with the the artists who are still alive in the liner notes um, the CD set comes with a 120 page book booklet mm -hmm. uh, the vinyl box set comes with a 60-page book and um, sharing these stories is trans translated to me and trans told to me by the artists. Um, I think it was, it was difficult. Music in those days, the late 50s is really the birth of the Canadian music industry. Um, things were very regional and even with the CBC artists who recorded for the CBC, I think their, their music was only really played regionally and, and actually still played in, in certain communities today. A lot of these artists are very well known in indigenous music circles, um, but just for any number of reasons, uh, didn't have the uh, exposure on a wider scale. Today we're in the digital world and music can easily be shared around the world. So there's interest in this project from England, let's say, America, the label, ironically enough, that's putting out this and documenting this Canadian music history is from the States, Light in the Attic Records out of Seattle and Los Angeles. Um, yeah, but no, it's, it's yeah. and Duke could might be able to speak on that. If um, he's done his game of pool. Uh, yeah, I think Duke is... Uh, he's gesticulating over there. <laughs> he's probably talking about great pool victories past. But that's one cool thing about this project as well, that some of the artists are still active in music today and they're still they're still making records and they're still performing live and I hope that this project uh, this Native North America Volume 1 can raise awareness of what these artists have done and what they're currently doing today which is re which is really exciting and uh, hearing the feedback from the artists uh, to me that's everything um, I can give a copy to Duke Redbird and Duke tells me thank you you've done a good job um, like to me, my that's that's all I need to hear. Like I'm not concerned with sales. I'm not concerned with distribution. Uh, but it, for the light in the attic, you know, it, it's the music business. They have to sell copies of this record. If everyone just downloads it for free, I, I've already seen the compilation available on blogs for downloading. Um, oh, it, it, which is wild, and I maybe shouldn't say that, but it's it leaked like really early on, and. Um, but if people don't actually go out and support this, uh, we won't be able to do more volumes of it. So if people have the means and the interest, I do encourage people to support their lo local independent record retailer and 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 go out and buy this. It's beautiful. I'm 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 seeing you holding it lovingly. Well, we we put I put a lot of love into this project. I I gave everything I had for five years to uh, to do to pay my respects to these musicians, this music. And to learn, and to learn more, obviously a process that will continue throughout my whole life and something I'm very passionate about, documenting Canadian music history, all different styles of music. It's about the music first and foremost. For me, I approach this project as I would approach uh, any other project I've done with Light in the Attic or any I'll do in the future. It's all about the music. Um, I've, I've 
And you bring this up, I assume, because you have a slight fear that this music might be, uh, if it was, I don't, I'm not suggesting the music was disposable in the first place, but it mm-hmm. does, I don't think it was given its due. And, and you're kind of talking about people distributing it for free and, 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 and maybe, again, maybe it's going to suffer the same fate. I, I feel like you've got You that never fear. know, but I know I'm really sensing that the record came out last week and there's been a real positive, um, you know, there's been a lot of positive support about it yeah. from my peers, from people I don't know, have never met, from the media, from the artists themselves. So I, I want this to be a positive thing for everyone and a celebration. And, you know, like the whole downloading thing, like that's, a whole, that's even a conversation for, you, we could have a whole show just based on, on that. I'm sure you may have even done a whole show based on these types of uh, concerns it and issues. It comes up here and, now, here and there. Yeah, and there, yeah it's... Yeah. But bottom line, the, like the work on my end for this, which is really almost just starting in a way because I want to raise awareness about it. But, you know, the research and the, that stuff, you know, we've, we've completed this project. It's a triple vinyl box set, 34 songs with 23 different artists and groups that represent a, a wide variety of First Nations, Métis and Inuit players, mm-hmm. a lot of distinct cultures represented. Um, yeah, it's just, I think it's, this, there's always struggles for the independent artist, whatever their their medium is, for yeah. visual artists, for musicians, for poets, for what have you. I think a lot of the issues that these artists were singing about in the 60s and 70s and early 80s, um, they're still very pertinent today, just looking at the state of the world and the state of Canada. And it's been really interesting learning more about like the country that I call home um, and have for my 40 years. Um, learning more about the roots of, of the country in general and uh, there are brutal past yeah and the history of our indigenous peoples and the, some of the things that the artists are singing about I feel are very very pertinent and very very timely um, and I hope they can create a dialogue and you know we can learn from these artists and these songs yeah it's it's one of the most punk rock things I've ever heard if that that's interesting does that make any sense well Willie Mitchell one of the artists on the compilation described uh, Sugluck as his favorite arctic punk band yeah um, and they and they have a real hard edged garage rock sort of s- sounds and and uh, an attitude the whole and feeling about it I mean hearing Willie Dunn's song is uh, Willie Dunn's songs as well I mean there's right. just this power to them and it's you can just tell it's coming from a place of fighting something yeah there's there's struggle in these songs there's pain um but it's also there's also there's also (laughs) no there with there's also joy and love and peace and awareness and understanding it's uh there's it's as as i say it almost gets into the spiritual for me Mm. um even as a non-aboriginal person i can i'm learning so much from these artists and and what they're laying down and uh I think a lot of people feel the same way and, and want to learn more. We we seem to, this has come up a few times, it's come up a couple of times even on this show, um, based on conversations I've had with a tribe called Red or okay. Tanya Tagak or Thomas King or Joseph Boyden or whoever. There's this feeling, and maybe we're on the other side of it, that this idea of there being uh, an awareness of Native issues or... Um, and a, more of an appreciation for that, the, their culture, the cultural contributions. It feels like that has been heightened uh, of late. 
Um, do you have a perspective on that? Do you feel like we're paying more attention and appreciating? Well, I think people want to want to celebrate like real Canadians that are doing, that are being progressive, that are questioning things, that are creating incredible art, uh, regardless of cultural background. But in in the sixties and seventies, there was a, a, a movement. Uh, amongst native peoples uh, a lot of empowerment a lot of uh, native pride going on and 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 i hope and 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 see see echoes and reverberations of that in things like i don't know more and and yeah the music that's coming out of the indigenous music scene um people like a tribe called red and tanya who you've mentioned i really like a an artist from kitagon zibi called gabe white duck mm -hmm. i've heard some of his music it's really excited me um, even though I spent a lot of my time looking back into the past for musical inspiration, because I find a lot of current stuff, um, especially in the more in the indie indie rock sort of side of things, is, is very retro-minded and very and uh, not a derivative. There's derivative, uh, not a lot being said. Yeah, uh, that's the type of stuff that these artists on Native North America were laying down back in the '60s and '70s, speaking about the current issues of the day and what's happening. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, still a lot of just like middle of the road, you know, stuff. People aren't really talking about that stuff in, in the music that I'm, I'm hearing, but, um, well, there's an art, there's a certain artfulness that comes through on, on this compilation in terms of people addressing issues and, and yet doing so in a timeless way, you know, on some level they sound like they're of a time. Um, and you know, and you read through the liner notes, they certainly are from, as you say, this spans from 1966 to 1985, but it's all, it, it has resonance. Like I completely can relate to everything that's going on here. Um, and I think that's, that's not something to shortchange. Not at all. It's visionary. They were, they were of the moment. These artists were of the moment, but also very ahead of the time too. And it's, it's sad to say that, you know, these issues are still with us today, but it seems like nothing has changed, unfortunately, and uh, something I've discussed with Duke over the last few days. Um, Duke, how are you doing over there? Yeah, do, do you want to join, join the conversation here? We'd love yeah. to... Uh, What's he do? Is he making a sandwich? <laughs> Did you win the pool game? Okay. He said, oh yeah, just like, no sweat. <laughs> what are you making over there, Duke? He's eating a biscuit. All right. We'll have Duke join us in a second. Duke, do you want to pull up a chair? You need help? Are you okay? Okay. <laughs> How's it going? Good. What yeah. Do, Good what test. Do, what, do, what would you like to know? We were just talking about uh, the timelessness of the content on this compilation and how um, it seems to, lately, uh, of late anyway, there seems to be a greater appreciation and acknowledgement of Native issues in music by younger artists and we were wondering if uh, you had any perspective on that on the fact that the things that are being discussed here in the 60s 70s and 80s are still relevant today well yes they're relevant because uh, very little has changed there hasn't been much improvement in terms of the um, uh, the social fabric of the first nations and our relationship to the government is pretty well um, the same as Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It was back 100 years ago, not just in the 60s. Um, young people are... Uh, revisiting simply because um, they are more aware of the issues nowadays. Uh, the Idle No More movement brought about uh, some uh, focus on some of these issues. The um, murdered and lost uh, women that has been in the news. Um, the whole uh, residential school um, history of uh, very black history, a dark period of Canadian policy. And more and more, uh, younger people are seeing that these are issues that they themselves are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And they're also revisiting the music of Bob Dylan, of uh, Joni Mitchell, of um, the early uh, blues uh, uh, and, and rock. So it's not just the native um, voice that's being heard, but it's a, it's a voice of a generation who had an idea that we could change the world only to find out that we were the world and there was no change. So when you talk about the fact that very little has changed, in sort of, it, it's a complex issue on some level, but from your perspective, what would be required to affect positive change? Well, that that we um, move out of the 19th and 20th century into the 21st century. I mean, uh, there are simple uh, things that could uh, uh, affect uh, immense change if they were, if the if if the government and the and the policymakers um, were had the courage to to implement them what are such things can you talk about them? guaranteed annual income everyone should have a guaranteed annual income why is it only the prisoners in this country only the criminals have a guaranteed annual income how is it that only the criminals have have uh, uh, food and shelter and uh, and access to education and everything else the reason that the criminals have a guaranteed annual income is because they are commodities occupying cells that um, uh, support a justice system that has no justice associated with it. A guaranteed annual income for every Canadian uh, would um, um, overcome a lot of the problems that, that w- are associated with um, 
um, the uh, marginalization of uh, uh, groups like uh, First Nation people. So that's an example. Uh, free market democracy, using uh, our cell phones and technologies to have one vote, one person, one vote. I mean, this is um, all stuff that has to, has to happen. We can't continue to have representative government from an 18th century idea that no longer works. The whole retribalization through electronic, technological, cybernetic society that's, that's emerging into an electronic retribalization process is what has to happen. And we are speaking to that um, as we um, are experiencing and using the social media that, that we have available to us, and it's coming more and more and more. One day, maybe five years from now, I'll be able to send my drone out to speak to your drone, <laughs> and we'll be able to communicate with each other, and we can talk about the real issues, not the way the government has has uh, caused uh, or or created um, a um, a prison of grass, and that's what we're living in now. You mentioned earlier that that uh, this real change would be. Uh, requires courage. What are people necessarily afraid of? Change. Change generally. That's right, the unknown. And, uh, and it's the, uh, the, 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 the politicians and the people that, uh, that are living in their imagined realities everywhere that, uh, that see what's coming down and coming, coming through, especially through technology, because technology changes us. We invent technologies, and then the the technologies begin to control what we do. Uh, and uh, a good example is a cell phone. Everybody yeah. is tethered to their cell phone now. It be, it's become an extension of their of their uh, uh, personalities. And this is going to continue as as the technologies now. I mean, uh, we will have wearable technologies. We'll be able to. Uh, uh, use our wearable uh, clothing to communicate with one another as we're walking down the street. We'll be able to uh, 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 go on our cell phones and type in any kind of message, and that message will appear on our clothing, and somebody else can read it. And uh, you know, this is like tomorrow. Not this is. Uh, I can go out today and buy a jacket that will do do that uh, for me. And uh, from where? Uh, any of the um, uh, there's a number of stores that are um, actually selling the, this wearable technology today. Now I I don't have um, I think me and you i think is one one big organization big big store like uh hudson bay company that sells wearable technology me and you yeah not you and me right or maybe now. it's you and me no wait me and you that's a place that's a store no that's a that's a yeah okay it's not, a company that i thought you produced, were talking about me and you no no it's the name okay it's and i i it could be you and me okay uh, look it up on Google. Wearable technology. Yes, of course. Are you from the future, Duke? I, yes, I think I am. You think you are? Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, 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 but only because I happen to be a First Nation person and the future was already here when Columbus arrived in 1492. That's, it's getting, it's getting a little spooky now. I'm getting a little scared. Really? The future was already in existence? 
then? Of course. How's that? Well, uh, in the Americas, for 70,000 years in the Americas, we had lived uh, with only two motivations that motivated the people in the Americas. That was self-preservation and romance, which includes uh, family, art, poetry, dance, music. It was power and money that was introduced from the uh, Western European, Judeo-Christian, Roman, uh, Greco-Roman, Western European technology that brought money and power, uh, institutions of power. As we move into a retribalized electronic society, money and power, as we presently uh, 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 understand them, are going to disappear and the new motivations of the future will be what was originally the motivation of human beings in the Americas, which is self-preservation romance. That's actually, that does feel like what's happening right now. I mean, I know it's the future, but that actually feels real. I can it is totally real. relate to that. Yeah. We were just talking earlier, Kevin and I, about the devaluing of music even. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and how the internet, like, you know, Kevin pours his heart and soul into this thing. And, you know, artists like yourselves, everyone's contributed to this thing. And, and it leaked. It sort of went out. And people heard it and are absorbing it, but they're not paying for it necessarily. That's right. Yeah. And so that kind of speaks to what you were just saying, I think, on some level. And it will continue. That, that speaks to their heart. Yes. It's, it's their ro there's a romantic connection to it. Yes. But there's no money. That's right. You just blew my mind. <laughs> I had my mind blown just now. Over the years, well, we've <laughs> we've seen incremental change about uh, in, in terms of the differences between us. We're we're starting to see this happen. We're starting to see civil rights advancements again over the last fifty, sixty years. You know, and we've seen you know uh, greater acceptance of homosexual lifestyles. We've seen greater acceptance of races and cultures. But for some reason, indigenous culture and white culture. There always seems to be this divide. You mentioned courage, you mentioned fear of change, but I think the subtext of all of that is that there is this fundamental feeling of, I think, shame and uh, maybe a resistance to really redress some of these issues. Do you see where I'm coming from with this? Do you, can you maybe, from your perspective, talk about why this particular divide has been so difficult to negotiate? Uh, basically, it's because of the language. Uh, oh. English is a, is a binary language, and with a binary language, you have um, uh, two words, actually three words, that don't exist in native languages. Those words are either, or, and why. So only Western Europeans talk about why, which is uh, an abstract idea and a philosophical question has no answer. But they continue to ask the question, even though they know that the answer to any why question is a lie. The either-or is, is either we're right and they're wrong, or they're right and we're wrong. If they are right and we are wrong, we know that right always overcomes wrong, so we have to get rid of them before their rightness overcomes us. On the other hand, if we're right and they're wrong, it's our duty to overcome them. And so it, this has been the... Uh, 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 philosophy of the Western European mindset uh, when they looked at North American native uh, world and they saw that they were an agrarian world based upon agrarian uh, values 
where they had invented something called money, which was the only thing that they could trust. Right. And then they found themselves in the Americas where people were living in a forager, hunter-gatherer relationship to the universe and did not use money and therefore trusted each other. And the Western European agrarian mentality was able to outmaneuver the hunter-gatherer forager mentality, and, and, and it remains today. Okay. So at the end, I mean, this is two answers you've given now where I think the fundamental issue from your perspective is commerce and greed. Yes. And that's what's overpowering any yeah. ability to convene. Well, greed comes about when you can grow your own food and grow an abundance of food and want more and more and more and more. Right. Where hunter-gatherer-forager society only uh, uh, assembled and attracted enough around them in terms of artifact that they could carry from place to place because they were, uh, they, they were mobile people. Uh, and um, the uh, um, agrarians are farmers. And they, they stick to one, one, one particular place and they build cities and they build uh, empires around an agrarian uh, economy. But a hunter-gatherer uh, forager economy is based on something entirely different, which is to follow the, the rhythms of, of nature and, um, and not uh, gather a lot of artifacts. Right. Well, speaking of rhythms, I want to talk to talk to talk about your contribution to this compilation. There's a poem that you contributed. Can you actually talk about your how you're involved in this compilation? I understand that another artist basically put music to a poem of yours. Yeah. Well, uh, Is that during this period in the in the 70s, uh, Curtis Johnny, uh, who's known as Shingus, and uh, I. Uh, and Willie Dunn and uh, um, Winston Watney uh, uh, and other artists were on the folk circuit. I was a poet. I recited poetry. Uh, uh, was a good friend of uh, the um, folk uh, world of the 70s, and we often performed together. So on this particular occasion, I had written a poem Shingo said hey I wouldn't mind putting some music to that poem so we put out an extended play little uh, record uh, and uh, that was the um, piece of music that Kevin found and enjoyed and liked it uh, and became a part of this compilation but I, but my own work is is on other CDs okay. as as a poet. Right. So you're primarily a poet. Do you yeah. do you? So the, the poem is Silver River. Mm -hmm. And do you appear on this song per se? No. Okay. So it's no. your words. It's my words. But uh, I was uh, the um, co-producer of the extended play that we called Native Country. Right. With uh, with Shingus. So we were partners. Okay, you were partners. Yeah. Okay. And, and are there other such instances where artists would take your poetry and, and translate it into a song? Well, uh, we did other songs. We did the Ballad of Norval Morso together, for instance. Uh, Winston Whitney and I did um, uh, Old Woman, which is uh, uh, where 
music and and poetry was was combined yeah we we did yeah. uh, we experimented with uh with um usually what would happen is uh i would work with um um an artist a, a singer or song they'd play a song then i'd do a poem then they play another song then i do a poem it was like that it was uh like a coffee house kind of coffee or? house yeah, yeah. i was yeah. They even uh, i worked with bruce coburn in the early days we, we had a little trio called uh, abundance to revolution oh yeah and i uh was a good friend of Joni Mitchell's and uh, hung out with, uh, you know, uh, the people in the village. Right. Uh, all the, the, it was just uh, a time when th- there was an explosion of talent in Toronto and Winnipeg and Vancouver that was amazing. For a period, it was like Camelot. Yeah. It came and it went. <laughs> Yeah. Are you still in touch with uh, people like Coburn and Joni Mitchell? I haven't seen uh, Bruce for uh, for a while. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and I um, I haven't seen Joni for for a while. But uh, uh, you know, we uh, whenever we see each other, it's always big hugs and yeah. uh, and reminiscences. Yeah. You know? Now, what do you make of what uh, Kevin has done here with this? Kevin thing? has been. Uh, uh, a godsend in in so many ways because without Kevin and all of the people associated with this light in the attic um, compilation it would have disappeared because certainly I or none of my colleagues of the day had any notion whatsoever or the capacity or ability to put it together so it's like uh, 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 an amazing um, expression of uh, of uh, of, the, the, of of such noble uh, aspirations beyond my imagination. Personally, I didn't think it would ever happen. I didn't think anyone cared enough about it. So, uh, like, I have nothing but uh, you know appreciation and gratitude and and. Uh, and uh, the fact that it's out there because uh, it's certainly uh, going to um, introduce new life into uh, something that I thought had virtually disappeared. Now, prior to this compilation, I mean, can, when you look at the, the, the artists involved, some of the songs, do you have many of these records in your collection? No. 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 We were... We, they're, they're gone. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. Like, uh, when I think back... We were out there performing, and uh, it uh, never uh, occurred to many of us that it would ever go any further than than it did, you know? Probably never occurred to you to collect it. No, not at all. Probably you were moving so much, moving around so much. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) These record collections can be uh, cumbersome. Um, Have you had a chance to listen to the three records, the double CD? Haven't, no. Haven't had a chance? No. No. Okay, so but you, I will. So when you when you scan what's on here, does anything about it surprise you? When you look at who's involved, when you look at some of those songs, do you think, "Oh my god, I forgot about that?" Well, uh most of it. Most of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit of a blast from the past. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I I mean, I'm I'm pleased that uh, you're pleased. Well, because it came out of the blue. It was like uh, 
I get a phone call from, you know, a voice on the telephone suggesting that they were interested in this extended play. And um, I thought it was of no consequence whatsoever. And I, I, I didn't want to uh, even go to the trouble of digging it out because I thought it was just another exercise in futility. And uh, Kevin kept at it, though. You know, he's like... Uh, like uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's uh, Indiana Jones. He went right after it and didn't stop until he found the Ark of the Covenant, and there it is. Now, labels like Light in the Attic, there are many labels like this one on some level. I'm not trying to shortchange them. They're very yeah. unique and special, but there's a lot of interest in the past. There's a lot of sort of, as you say, going, you know, being an archaeologist of, of, of a musical sort yeah. and digging through the past and, and re-presenting music that most people would have thought was lost or they were mm. unfamiliar with it. Is there any parallel in sort of native culture where you can think of something like this, where like something that was lost is kind of brought back into the fore? Well, uh, certainly there's, uh, there's been a, a resurgence of, um, of First Nation uh, culture. Uh, there's there's uh, been... Uh, a great, uh, a great movement on by um, a, a generation now who sees the value of uh, the uh, uh, the world of, of, of traditional culture, but it's um, it's mixed up with a lot of other things because, you know, the definition of culture is anything you invent, borrow, or discover that satisfies your needs. And so there's a lot of uh, borrowing and inventing and discovering from a diverse uh, world of uh, cultural inputs that have been created a bullion base of um, sound and and, and uh, expressions. So what is uh, pure uh, or or would represent what it was like 500 years ago, that's uh, very difficult to recreate and reintroduce. It is being reintroduced in a different way, in an electronic way, through a retribalization process of, and when I say retribalization, what I mean is that social media allows for people who uh, correspond to the same mythologies to talk to each other. It's a powerful phrase that I don't know that I've encountered. I, I enjoy, every time you've said retribalization, I enjoy it. I enjoy mm-hmm. that it's a nice encapsulation of this moment, I think. Mm-hmm. We are being connected, and we are forming a kind of front That's in right. terms of how we consume culture together. Yes. And, and I see what you mean there by retribalization. Good. It makes sense to me. <laughs> Um, Kevin, what are you mentioned that uh, the success of this volume will dictate the future of this project? Um, to some degree, yes. And and I just want the music to get out there. I want a dialogue to be created. I hope people think about the messages in these songs. And um, you know, regardless of whether they go out and buy it or not, I'm going to continue with my work as for as long as I live. Uh, I don't make a living from it. I do this because I love it, and I want to share some of the knowledge that I've I've picked up along the way. It's important work, and I mean, you've you've I think 
audaciously uh, label this volume one, even right. though it's no, quite for contingent sure. on. <laughs> no, it isn't. It, it isn't. There's definitely going to be a volume two, and that will feature Native American artists from that same era who are doing the same thing that the artists from Canada were doing, people like Floyd Westerman, A. Paul Ortega, um, et cetera. So that's happening. I'm currently in production on an anthology of Willie Dunn's music oh, and, amazing. and films. Amazing. Um, like Duke, a true trailblazer from this sort of era of the 60s and 70s and 80s. And, and you know, obviously, after just hearing what Duke's been laying down, like it's right into the present, the future. Yeah. So it's, unfortunately we lost Willie Dunn um, in I believe August of 2013. I'd like to give a big shout out to his family and, and it's another motivator for my work as well. We're all getting older, um, but I think it would be a, really sh a real shame if we lost some of this incredible history. I agree. Um, because, you know, we haven't reached out or, you know, it's, I'm just going to keep doing my work and and I hope good things uh, come out of it. I want this to be a positive thing. I want it to be a celebration. But when you're bringing back music from the past, it can bring back the whole gamut of emotion and yeah. all, and, and all yeah. the emotions that went into its creation, um, which can, yeah, it can bring back joy, but it can also bring back some pain as well. Um, but I want this to be a joyous a celebration and just to raise awareness of what was going on. Uh, in those days in, in Canada, things that, you know, I didn't know about up until I was started finding these records and reaching out to the artists and, and wanting to learn more and then share that. And luckily, like, I have an outlet to do that through my work with Light in the Attic Records. And uh, I view it as an honor for me to be able to, to do this. The, the, the first thing I saw in terms of anything connected to this compilation was a promo video it was on YouTube, and it looked right. like it might be a preview for a documentary. But was that was that the extent of it? Was it just creating a little promo for the record? Yeah, we wanted to raise awareness about these artists and their music, and to promote the forthcoming album, which just was released last week in late November. Um, but we shot extensive interviews with Willie Thrasher in Nanaimo, Willie Dunn, rest in peace in Ottawa, and also Willie Mitchell. Um, in Kitagon Zibi, Manawaki, and Quebec. Um, so we'll see how things unfold. Uh, you have more footage. I mean, this could there, be. There's a more footage, and, and, and this, these artists and this story. And, and, and by default, we're not able to include all of the incredible talent that was active in that era. Uh, you could have 20 volumes and still be putting out more. Yeah. More albums. But. I wanted to showcase the breadth of what was happening in those days and records that spoke to me as well and that I thought were incredible enough to want to share. I don't think everything from the past is worthy of a reappraisal in this manner, um, but the songs that are still relevant and still pertinent, uh, I think it's important that we hear them. And, you know, music lovers can hear them, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, that's just it. I mean, beyond the context of this, like the music's incredible. Like uh, I. I'm enjoying just listening to this thing. Well, otherwise, like, there were, we probably wouldn't be a project. Like, the music is... I approach this project uh, no different than I would the, working on the projects of Sisto Rodriguez or uh, working with Thin Lizzy or Doug Randall, a CBC composer, arranger, the six-album Jamaica to Toronto series that I put together for Light in the Attic. It's all about the music and the power of music and, 
and it's nice to see people responding to it and dialogues being created about it and you know thoughts being exchanged it's yeah. fantastic no it is well I, I wish you uh, all the luck in the world with this thing and I thank you Duke and, and Kevin for being on this program is there a song from the compilation that we can uh, point people to now we have a lot of options here but is there something well, uh, why don't we try the song Silver River sure by Shingus with featuring poetry the poetry of Duke Redbird now, Duke, we didn't, I didn't get a chance to ask you this. Is there anything about uh, Silver River that you can tell us? Yeah, the, uh, the, poem, the poem itself, um, uh, when, I, when I wrote it, it was um, like the, the, the words talk about there, 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 there were um, rapids in a silver river and shoals made of turquoise, and the rapids were silent and the shoals were not visible. And the girl with sweet grass in her hand and corn silk in her hair uh, placed the silver river on her little finger and took the rapids to her bed. It was representative, really, of the era in which uh, we um, we lived uh, and were engaging um, not only our personal relationships but uh, also life, which was the Silver River, you know, and it was uh, uh, the whole notion that uh, it was uh, um, part of uh, a dreamscape, I guess. Um, And I felt um, that it was uh, representative of uh, of a, a kind of a gentle, beautiful world, uh, particularly when uh, this Mother Earth woman uh, placed the Silver River on your little finger, you know. It, uh, these images were just uh, very poetic, uh, very lyrical, and uh, something that um, uh, everyone could relate to because it, it didn't specifically uh, address a, a particular genre or a particular group or anything it was just uh, a nice thought. Do you remember sort of where, what, and when might have when, we, when this idea came to you? Well, it was I was in uh, Yorkville um, and uh, and um, actually uh, the uh, song itself um, was composed about the time when I was living in a boarding house uh, uh, across the hall from Joni Mitchell oh. and and, uh, and I think that there was a bit of an inspiration there with the corn silk in her hair you oh know? interesting yeah so Joni yeah. Joni might have had a part in this yeah I think so nice uh, very very much so yeah does she know about that I think she does uh, I, I, there was a a, a book written uh, where uh, um, it was mentioned Okay. Uh, 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 Girls like us. The the book was called. Right. And and it's about Joni's uh, life in Toronto and her later career. And I figure uh, rather prominently. I'm glad to say because uh, I just uh, had one of those beautiful opportunities to meet uh, an incredible artist. Uh, the the moment that just before she burst onto the scene with. Uh, uh, with such magnificent talent, and it was it was 
great to have those moments, you know, to when yeah. you meet people uh, of that era and that talent. And but it was all around; it was everywhere, you know. Gordy Lightfoot was playing at the uh, uh, Riverboat, right. and uh, Marie McLaughlin was, you know, strumming his guitar and uh, in on the steps and coffee houses in Yorkville and. Um, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee were always coming into town and they'd put on a great show and then uh, argue with each other for the rest of the night, you know, and there were people like Blind Lemon Jefferson and uh, uh, Great Blue, these incredible blues singers, they were walking around Yorkville just, um, you know, I, I saw Earl Father Hines uh, uh, hanging out and uh, like uh, this... Um, City was just a hotbed of of immense talent, you know. Uh, on any given day, um, I remember when I wrote a wrote a poem about it. One day, Leonard Cohen and uh, Ramblin' Jack Elliott and I are sitting in the Lothian Muse, and we're we're uh, just having a great afternoon together and, and talking. And and I I wrote a wrote a poem about it. You know, that was the um, way it was, and it all died uh, with the developers coming in and taking down the great old coffee houses right. and putting up their steel and glass condominiums. Well, on that note, let's go to the, <laughs> the more pleasant uh, visions of Silver River. And uh, I'll let people know that for more information on, uh, on Native North America, Volume 1, they can go to lightintheattic.net. And uh, and please pick up this thing because it's great. And uh, as Kevin said earlier, support your independent record stores and go pick up the vinyl or the CD. They both are nice. They're lovely. So thank you both for being Duke. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show. And well, I wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you, Vish. Uh, it's been great speaking with you today. Peace. We say in Ojibwe, thank you. Megwetch. To the future. Absolutely. Which might be now. It is. <laughs> There were rapids in a silver river. Oh,
Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.